Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 257 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, at Falcoholic Kevin. And as you can see, we're joined by a very, very special guest tonight. He is legendary Falcon Center, Todd McClure. He's at Todd McClure62 on Twitter. And Todd, you are here as a guest, but also you've got a brand new podcast that I want to just right off the top let you uh, tell the people about because it sounds like a really great show. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been kicking around and what I miss most about football is the guys. I miss the locker room. So uh, the name of my podcast is The Snapback with T-Mac. We're on all platforms. Just got started a couple weeks ago. Uh, I have some some old teammates lined up, some good guests, and we're going to have fun with it, see where it goes. You know, talk football, talk old uh, locker room stories, and just our time on the field uh going back to my lsu days through my falcon days and uh just having a good time with it so thank you guys for having me and uh for giving me the opportunity to put that out there to your audience oh absolutely this that is the that is the exact audience that i think will most enjoy your show because uh these guys are a lot of these guys are are my age you know we have some younger fans too but we also have some older fans that are not you know they i mean have seen stuff that you know i was just a child coming up when i think you started with the falcons so uh <laughs> that i think it will appeal to a huge swath of falcons fans uh all ages i think will will be able to benefit especially just hearing those stories and stuff like that i'm really looking forward to to seeing the lineup and, and hearing some of those so we appreciate you doing it uh and and happy to to amplify it out here for the people oh absolutely thank you guys again guys before we dive in on this episode, let me bring you word from our sponsor, betonline.ag. Folks, football is back, and BetOnline is your number one information source for all your sports wagering information. With all the up-to-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns, you can get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. You know, uh, this game in particular, it, it, the Falcons are three-point underdogs. You know, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to give any advice on this one because I, I, I don't, I myself can't even figure out the way this one's going to go. Maybe after watching the show tonight, you'll have a better idea. But no matter what you want to go with, uh, head to the website betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Just remember to use our promo code believe that's B L E A V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, all right. We also have with us. To thank for this wonderful guest, Director of Guest Personnel, Evan Birchfield, at Evan Birchfield. Uh, Evan, how are we doing tonight? Good. Um, you know, appreciate Todd coming on tonight. Um, I only show up when we get, like, when I can get good guests on. And um, I don't think I can top Todd, so it might be a while before you see me again. Hey, let's finish the episode before you say that. You might be disappointed. Oh, no, no. You're, you're Big expectations. Right in, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Todd, by the way, he's not wrong. This is the first time I've seen Evan in like four months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He like, just I'm like I think the last person who came came on, um, like who between Matt Bryant um... and then yep, somebody yep. else was a big gap. But uh, yeah, Matt was awesome. Oh yeah. yeah, Matt Bryant was a lot of fun. Uh, Andre Ryzen, got to have him yeah. on your show. Andre Ryzen yeah. was definitely the most entertaining. Um, 
I don't know what was going well, on in the background uh, of his of this his weekend, interview. <laughs> this weekend in Detroit was the first time I got to hang with Andre a little bit. Of course, we crossed paths, uh, you know, at different Falcons events. But this weekend, set the suite, got to watch the the, uh, the game with him in Detroit. So that was pretty neat. He's a legend, you know. Bad Moon Rising and. Right now, they got him on TV fighting Dion all the time. You know, showing that clip. Just to yeah. plug your show a little bit more, um, what do you can you name drop some people you expect to come on? Yeah, absolutely. So my first guest, we're actually uh, going to do the first real uh, guest episode tomorrow. Tyson Claybo. He was, you know, no Tyson. You know, a guy that mm-hmm. played at a high level for a long time, and we spent a lot of time together in the locker room and in the trenches and you know we we still talk to this day uh right now i've got uh, roberto garza lined up keenan forney and then next week booger mcfarland uh anthony mcfarland who was uh actually in mine and heidi's wedding he was a good friend of mine teammate at lsu um so he's coming on and we're going to talk old times and talk about football he he talks a little bit of football in his daily life so he'll be a good guy to have on and we look forward to that yeah, absolutely. Keenan Forney, uh, we he for several years he was a frequent guest on here. So he's definitely uh, a friend of the show. Keenan yeah, yeah, for sure. He's probably been on here at least a dozen times. Yeah, so he'll he'll fit right in. He's a great guest for sure. Uh, really yeah, fun I'm guy. Gonna try to get, I'm gonna try to get Matt Matt Ryan, of course, pretty soon. But I know his his schedule's pretty busy with everything that he's got on and everybody throwing his name in the hat for yeah. uh, quarterback that's out there. You know, so. Yeah, it might, might be this off season, but I'm, I'm gonna try to get him on at some point. Yeah, the big fish. Yeah, we Evan's been working that one for for years. I, I feel like he might have a that, few more that's years. Literally, to like go. the white yeah. whale. Like, yeah. that, that's never gonna happen. Like, yeah, we'll keep trying. <laughs> there you yeah. go. He's got to get up too. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're that, when you're you know, league MVP and <laughs> best quarterback yeah, team's ever seen, true. a lot of a lot of people yeah. uh, trying to talk to you. So uh, Matt, Matt deserves a little peace. Maybe maybe we'll let him uh, enjoy retirement for a couple of years before he comes on. Maybe future Jets quarterback Matt Ryan. <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't rule it out. I but. think he's getting paid too much money to sit on the couch. So uh, yeah. you know, let yeah. him have his peace. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, as you can see, we're also joined by Adnan Ekic tonight. He is at Say Which Way on Twitter. Adnan, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing very well. The, uh, man, the nostalgia is really hitting me right now with uh, Todd McClure, Tyson Claybo. It's really, it's really taking me back to those O lines from 08 through 2012, which was just, man, I wish that was still our offensive line today. But you know, we're yeah. we're, we're, we're working our way toward there. We're we're we're, working. we're getting there. We we got we're some pieces. There. We got some pieces. It takes a while to replicate greatness, that's for sure. But so, but. A lot of stuff happened this this week. Obviously, Falcons got their first loss. That's never fun for fans or players uh, to deal with. But it's it's sort of set off this tidal wave of of criticism. And you know, from all of us here at the show, we fans had a lot of expectations coming to this season. And I don't necessarily blame people, but it's getting a little out of hand. But I I wanted to start by getting Todd's take because Todd, you've been around several rookie quarterbacks that ended up having great careers, you know, um, obviously Matt Ryan, but I mean, it wasn't just Ryan, like throughout your career, you mentored, I'm sure several quarterbacks. So what is it like for an offensive line, a center in particular, because that relationship is so important to what do you do to sort of bolster uh, a young quarterback who maybe isn't having the best start? Uh, maybe, you know, is struggling to start. How, how, how does the, the offensive line and the center you know, what, what do you do in that situation? How do you 
bolster him. Yeah, they definitely have a, a unique bond, you know, the center quarterback bond. And luckily for me and Matt, I had, of course, Michael Vick. I was still young in my career uh, when Michael Vick got to the Falcons. So uh, I didn't have as many gray hairs at that time. But <laughs> by the time Matt Ryan got there, I understood the game and the game had slowed down to where I knew our offense just as good as the quarterbacks did. And uh, I think right now with the Falcons, you got Dahlman who's still – He's still young in his career. He's trying to figure out himself as a center, and I think he's going to be a great player. He's got a great background. Uh, I got a chance to talk to him this offseason. He has the right mental approach, but you have two young guys, a young center. You have a young quarterback, and they're kind of growing in their game together. Uh, with Matt early, I understood our offense, and I understood where he needed help. And, you know, I had a guy that I mentioned earlier, Tyson Claybo, was there too, and – a young quarterback is able to be comfortable when you have guys around him uh, that understand the game. And I think right now they're trying to trying to gel as a group. Um, and he's got to get there. You know, the running game, I think, is the biggest key to this Falcons team. We have to get the running game going. It's going to take pressure off of Ritter. It's going to take pressure of our, off of our offensive line. And it's just going to help this team be successful because I think our defense played good good enough football last weekend to win that football game. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And it, it's it's been kind of shocking uh, because I think expectations for the defense were tempered, even though I think we all really liked the, the moves this offseason. But you got a new coordinator coming in, a new scheme to some extent coming in. I think we all figured it would take a little while for those pieces to gel. Instead, the defense has really come together quickly. In fact, they've, I think, blown all expectations out the door so far. They're top seven defense in a lot of statistics, uh, seventh in scoring, seventh in passing. Uh, they're about middle of the packet in rushing, but two of the three games, they've been really good against the run. The first game, obviously, they allowed 150 yards to the Panthers. That seems like might end up being an outlier, but how impressed are you with the, the defense coming together like super well to start the season? Yeah, I'm really impressed. Like I said, it, uh, last weekend, I really felt like they played good enough for us to win. You know, we were down... 13 to three at one point, it felt like it was 30 to three. Uh, yeah. But we had opportunities. We missed the field goal uh, right there. It would have put us at 13 to six and we were right in it. Uh, I know and we keep going back, but you talk about our defense when Matt Ryan was a rookie. We had some dudes on that defensive side. We had John Abraham, Keith Brooking, Lawyer Malloy was a safety. Our defense was pretty dang good when Matt was a young quarterback. And I think if our defense can keep playing at the level they're playing at, get a little bit more pressure, you know, on third down in the passing game. We have to get more pressure on the quarterback, but just keep doing what you're doing. Because if you can hold a team, Detroit's got a good offense. If you can hold them to that type of points, you should win some football games. Yeah, no arguments here. Yeah. Uh, Evan, Adnan, I, I don't want to hog all the questions right off the top if you guys uh, got stuff from Todd as well. Uh, I, I was just wondering, so we you mentioned Drew Dahlman a little bit. Have you gotten a chance to talk to him? Have you gotten a chance to mentor him uh, at all? Like, what, what's your opinion on him as the Falcon center moving forward? You know, I think Dalma, I think he's a, a guy that can grow grow into that position and he could be a good player for a long time. Uh, like, the, like I talked about earlier, uh, what's crazy is his dad actually was an assistant O-line coach here in Atlanta, you know? So I spent some time with his dad and of course he played in San Francisco. So, to me, a guy that grows up with a, a dad as a coach understands the game, respects the game, and he puts in the time. You know, I think I could look back to earlier in my career 
And people are probably saying some of the same things about me that they're saying about about him now. But I think in, you know, five, six years, you're going to look up and say, man, we had a pretty good guy that was snapping the ball to our quarterback here in Atlanta. Uh, so I think guys, the fans need to be patient with him. And I think he he's going to be a really good player for this franchise. Yeah. Big fan of, of Drew Dahlman. And I was one of his bigger critics. And I, I thought the team might just make moves to to draft another center to to challenge him. But I think Arthur Smith made the right call sticking with Dahlman. Um, you know, you can see the 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 growth that he's had so far this year. I think he, he started really strong last week. The whole offensive line struggled. So I'm not really pointing fingers at anyone in particular for that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Arthur Smith proved himself right that they they were right to have total confidence in Dahlman going into the season and instead go with the rookie Matthew Bergeron. Um, he's obviously only played a couple of games at the NFL level at this point, but what do you think about uh, Bergeron moving from tackle to guard? That's not as easy as people think. <laughs> and uh, how, how do you think he's he's handled his uh, baptism by fire to the NFL? Yeah, he's definitely been baptized by fire. And, you know, I've played next to some guys that were rookies young in this league as offensive linemen. I'll tell you, being a rookie uh, on the offensive line, with some of those freaks that you play against, it's just, it's not fair. You have so much you have to learn about game speed and, and techniques and you get in a hostile environment like Detroit because it was loud uh, Sunday in Detroit. Those things kind of, everything's happening so fast and you don't really hone in on your technique that you've been working on. But I love Bergeron. He, uh, I got a chance to go up to Atlanta and talk to him, have dinner with him uh, this offseason. Great kid. Uh, athletic i like the way he moves so i think he's gonna be fine you, you, he's gonna get baptized a little bit this year and he's gonna have uh some games where you don't play so well but hopefully he'll learn from them i mean look at the guy that was lining up across from him on third down that's a pretty good pass rusher he'll yeah. be better next time he plays it yeah yeah it's been sort of a, a murderer's row uh for the falcons and it doesn't necessarily get any easier this week against jacksonville they've got some some guys up and down that defensive line too but i, I was really impressed with i think the falcons toughest test might have been the packers uh and i thought they actually played their best game against the packers front um so i i think it's it's been inconsistent so far but i i do i do have faith that there will be improvement um because we've seen especially from guys like jake matthews and chris lindstrom like you have a ton of faith that those guys are are going to get right. It, like it's not going to be a long-term problem. I know most fans are concerned about Caleb McGarry, who I thought last year really took a step forward, especially as a pass protector, got a lot more consistent. Um, this year, it seems like it, it's been some struggles for him. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch his tape at all. Do you? What do you think has been the issue so far with McGarry's uh, struggles outside? You know, guys, I'm, I'm not going to claim, I, you know, those guys that play that tackle position, you got to be really good. You know, yeah. um, I could get when I get Claybone here, he could talk a little more in depth <laughs> about that. But I, the offensive line in general, I don't think people realize how hard it is when you go on the road. Like, say you go on the road to Detroit and you have that crowd noise and you're trying to operate on a silent count or not being able to uh, hear the snap count and you're going off of the, the ball moving. And then you got to speed everything up. And I think that what played in a little bit this weekend to our guys being a step behind. Um, and I think going to Jacksonville, I don't think crowd noise is going to be near uh, of a problem this week. I think those guys will settle in. I think Desmond will settle in. We'll get the running game going, and hopefully he can hit some of those early throws on early downs this week. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's also like a, a chemistry thing and, you know, 
this was something that I think was a little bit unfairly criticized, but that there was a lot of fans clamoring for the Falcons to play the starting five more in the preseason. And you've played on teams that played a lot of preseason and teams that probably didn't play as much preseason. What's your take on whether those preseason reps matter a lot in terms of getting a starting five ready to go for the first couple weeks of the season? Man, I can tell you that that chemistry on the offensive line is something that, you know, is is very valuable. And the only way you can get that chemistry is being on the field together. But it's it's a balancing act. You know, you, you don't want to put guys out there in the preseason and then they get hurt. And then you get you have somebody out during the regular season that's maybe not quite as good as a guy that you try to get a few snaps with in the preseason. So those guys are going to get better, you know, as the season goes along because um, you have the talent there. And I think you have the right guys, you know, Bergeron, and then you you, you got Matthews to the left um, and you got Dahlman to his right. Guys are going to bring him along. And the more snaps they get, the better they're going to get. And the more confidence Desmond's going to get to step up in that pocket and get the ball out on time. Yeah. No. Go ahead. I would yeah. I would just like to note that we were very pro starters playing in the preseason this year, but you know, <laughs> okay. oh, oh. No. Uh, I, that's the only time I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that up as as a sort of a, a victory lap, you know. But um, <laughs> I am wondering, and this is this is sort of unrelated right now, and I know we'll probably get more questions regarding you know Todd regarding your career as a whole. I was just curious. Um, you are one of the rare people that blocked for both Matt Ryan and for Michael Vick how different is it like what how different is it blocking for a guy with 4-2 speed 4-2-9 speed and Vick who likes to get out of the pocket who likes to run versus a traditional pocket passer like Matt Ryan was you know throughout his entire career or or is it as a center is it more similar than, than what we imagine no it's, it's not similar at all you know you had Michael Vick early in his career and you didn't know where he was going to be in the pocket, you know. Sometimes it was a good thing because you might get beat at the line of scrimmage and Mike could do some magic in the backfield and make guys miss. But he was never going to be in the same spot. Uh, the good thing we had when, when Mike was playing was the bootleg. You know, we had Bork done. We had TJ Duckett. Um, and we ran that zone scheme. And we had Mike Vick bootlegging out the back. So that, that backside defensive end, he had to make a decision. That opened up some things in the running game. Uh, but, you know, so with Mike, he, he was never in the same spot in his pass drops. Matt Ryan, you knew where he was going to be. If he was going to be at three steps, if he was going to be at five steps, he was going to be at that same spot in the pocket. The thing about Matt, the ball was going to come out the majority of the time on time. Uh, he knew where his receivers were going to be. Uh, spent a lot of time with those guys, especially, you know, when, when we were hitting, when you had uh, Roddy and Julio and Tony Gonzalez, the ball was coming out. You knew where Matt was going to be, but it's not as, not as easy. It's two different styles, you know, and you have to change up your approach on the line of scrimmage based on who you have back there behind you. Which one did you prefer? Which one did you enjoy more? <laughs> it's like asking okay, you to yeah. pick your kid. Yeah, your favorite kid. No, yeah. no, man. I've had I had uh great seasons with both of those guys. Uh played in the NFC championship game with Michael Vick, played in the NFC championship game with Matt Ryan. Uh two guys that benefited my career, uh, my family. I respect both of those guys, and both of those guys were great teammates and and, and great Atlanta Falcons football players. Yeah. Uh, 
two of the greats. Uh, certainly, we were we were spoiled with that quarterback play for a little bit there, and I think that's led to kind of a, a bit of a, a very harsh reaction where the Falcons for the last couple of years have actually had to get by without Matt Ryan or Mike Vick uh, for an extended period of time and, and go to, first of all, kind of a bridge quarterback and, and Mariota, who we all knew was, was going to get a chance here, but was probably not going to be the starter past year. And now going to a really young developmental guy and Desmond Ritter. Uh, so I think Matt Ryan, the way Matt Ryan took off and immediately hit the ground running as a quarterback, far from perfect, obviously, but had that success and, and the Falcons were immediately a playoff contender. Uh, I think it's kind of shell-shocked fans a little bit to where they're not used to having to develop a guy. Um, what do you think about a Desmond Ritter's play so far? Obviously, we're just seven games in. It's extremely early, but there's a lot of fans that are, that are ready to jump off the cliff or, or say that Ritter has already proven that he can't do it. I obviously think that's ridiculous, and I, I'm sure you do too, but I'm curious your take because it, it I think it takes time for these guys, uh, and he's still a really young guy, but I'm curious. You've been around it quite a bit in your career, so what, what's your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we knew with, uh, of course, both of those guys you mentioned, with, with Mike and Matt, I think at uh, very – I think with Matt, I knew in OTAs and minicamp, his knowledge and his understanding of the quarterback position or offense was just off the charts, you know, and the, the the respect he commanded from our huddle and veterans that have been playing the game. Some of them, you know, eight, 10 years, they were like, this dude knows what he's doing. Uh, whereas Mike didn't spend as much time in the playbook, but he, he made plays on the field. Um, Desmond has a ways to go. You know, I think uh, he has the ability. It looks like he has the mindset, but the NFL, you got, you have to go produce, you know, and I think you start getting into uh, week four, week five, week six, and your throws aren't online, you're not putting up the numbers that you should, then people start to question, can this guy really take this franchise where we want to go? And I think it's valid questions because I think, look, you got to look and say, do you think this guy can take us to a Super Bowl? And I think Desmond has to do some things in the next few weeks that shows he's making progress there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, it's twofold. It's, Yes, it hasn't been long enough to make a definitive statement, but also that he's not beyond criticism or reproach and does need to show improvement every week. But uh, more that, you know, don't, don't, guys, it, it, we're two and one. You know, everyone needs to tamp yeah, down absolutely. a little bit. What will <laughs> help Desmond Ritter more than, than anything is the running game, you know? And I know, like, Detroit stacked the box. They had, they're, they're not going to let us beat us with the running game. They're going to make us beat them in the passing game. And until, Desmond and those receivers show that, you know, you're going to take that safety out the box and you're going to go cover with him. Teams are going to keep stacking the box. But I think you have to be hard-headed with the running game and go establish a run. We have a back, Robinson, that can make guys miss. If you have an extra guy that's unblocked, he can make a miss. So keep feeding that guy and let's see what will happen. Yeah, yeah, and I think last week it was a little bit odd against the Lions that we didn't run the ball more. I think they – wanted to attack what was Detroit's perceived weakness. And I think was Detroit's weakness on paper, which was the pass defense. They just lost CJ Gardner Johnson, who was sort of like the, the backbone of that pass defense for the season. Kirby Joseph, their young safety who had been playing really well, he missed the game. And I think there was a decision to try to attack there, but I think you're absolutely right. Like it, it regardless of how good the opponents run defenses, this 
we we saw last year that this team can run on anybody at any time right. if they if they stick to it if they're consistent um the falcons faced the highest number of stacked boxes by a wide margin last year and they had the most success against stacked boxes of any team in the nfl and it sounds like you you agree that teams are going to stack the box and the falcons do have to improve the passing game but they should commit to continuing to pound the rock because they have the first of all the guys up front but also the backs to, to be able to do that yeah absolutely and i think you know some of my best memories were with alex gibbs and alex gibbs was a guru of, of run blocking and every week we went in and we knew that teams were going to have an extra safety there was going to be an extra guy in the box sometimes too uh, because they knew we were going to come run the ball but alex was really good at scheming um and our running backs knew who that unblocked guy was going to be. So everything up front and to the second level, uh, we took the angles on guys and the running back knew if I get to this hole, I know where that unblocked guy is coming from. And I think there's there's some things that they have to get on the same page and just go establish some dominance in the running game. Yeah, that's one thing I've really enjoyed after a lot of years of watching like Dirk Cutter's offenses, which were definitely fun to watch in the passing game, but the Falcons really struggled to run the ball from 2018 through 2020. Um, so that's one thing I've really enjoyed about watching Arthur Smith is kind of getting back to that early Matt Ryan era, Mike Vick era dominance on the ground. It's just fun to watch. I mean, I, I think everyone in these days is sort of obsessed with the passing game and it's flashy. It's fun, but I just love watching like what we saw, uh, week one what we saw a little bit in week two which was the falcons just pounding the rock every play just grinding down i know last year against the browns uh, in 2022 they had that drive where i think it was like 14 straight runs to score a touchdown um or it was like (laughs) that is art yeah that is art right there (laughs) but at the same time you're dead but you just feel like you just imposed your will on the defense and just broke their soul you know that's that's some of the feelings that i miss in that game and you know, I think our running game is going to get going, and I'm excited and I'm hoping uh, that they'll show up Sunday morning and in, in Andy's room, like we talked about earlier, and get that run game going, huh? Yes. Shout, that, shout uh, out to Disney Plus. Yeah. <laughs> is that, did you enjoy run blocking more so than pass blocking, or was it was it about even for you? No, I did. We I enjoyed run blocking. Um, to me, like I just talked about, when you're successful with the run and you're, you're hitting 5, 10, 15 yards a shot, it's demoralizing to a defense. And uh, when when a defensive line knows that they're going, they can pin their ears back and go rush the passer, that's what they all want to do. Uh, nobody wants to stop the run. I mean, they do it. They get paid. There's guys that do it. But they get their glory by rushing the passer. And you had to be good. You had to be balanced. But if you told me, uh, or you asked me which one I like more, it was definitely running the football. Yeah. That's got to be fun. fun, too. Like, I, I can only imagine how much shit gets talked, you know, in the trenches of the <laughs> offensive-defensive line. And then, like, you know, toward the end of the game when you're just sort of, like you said, imposing your will, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's a different feeling. And I'm sure that the shit-talking from the defensive line sort of gets less and less if you're if you're more and more successful with run blocking no it definitely does and look back to to the days on the field where we had the nasty boys with uh harvey Dahl and sam baker and justin blaylock tyson claybo early in the game there was so much trash talking going on because <laughs> because of how we played you know we were going if you were standing around a pile harvey Dahl was gonna come flying in like macho man you know and eliminate you and we were gonna cut your knees so 
I think defensive linemen felt like they could intimidate us by talking trash early, but they didn't do anything but got, got Tyson Clobo and Harvey Dahl more angry. And uh, by the end of the game, it starts to die down. You know, we've had uh, Warren Sapp was the world's worst. If you let him get going, his trash talking, especially to a young guy, it would take – I've seen him take some of our young guys out the game because he did not stop. And uh, I hated hearing him talk trash because he would not shut his mouth. <laughs> that tracks very much with what I would expect from Warren Sapp, actually. So I'm glad yeah, to absolutely. have that confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> well, Evan, uh, before I get to some fan questions and we start talking about this Jaguars game, did you have anything you wanted to ask? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a lot of questions, but yeah. um, the one I really want to know is how it felt um, going into the ring of honor finally and going in as a 12th member. So, I mean, only 12 people out of what I don't know what it is now, but being around since 1966, like being literally top 12 in the eyes of the franchise, like how did that feel? Man, you, man I'm getting chills now. It's uh, I still have to pinch myself sometimes. And when I really think about uh, the magnitude of it and uh, you know, the, the franchise being around since the sixties, I grew up, a sports fan, you know, we go watch the Houston Astros baseball fan, you know, watch the Houston Astros. Um, and I still, to this day, I watch the pro game. Like I'm a kid, you know, just the excitement I get. And, uh, when I see guys that are playing this game, I still look at it like I'm a fan. And to be able to say that, like you just mentioned, you know, 12 guys in the history of that franchise, it was a, you know, a major sports franchise, as a kid that I grew up watching and admiring these guys, it's pretty special. And I think with my teammates and my, my family members along the way, there are so many people that have, you know, I have a special bond with that helped me get to that point. So, and that's part of what you guys talked about earlier, the snapback with T-Mac, my podcast, I want to bring all that out. You know, I'm not a guy that I don't sit around here. My wife and kids could tell you and just tell old stories. You know, I just, I'm not that kind of guy. So I think this will give the opportunity for people even that are close to me to hear things that they've never heard before. So I look forward to doing that. And, and to be in the Ring of Honor, the Atlanta Falcons, your original question, it's just unbelievable to me. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, because sometimes sometimes it's like you got to get somebody's got to get you talking. And then right. it starts flowing, but it just you're you're you know you're not that type. It's just like, oh, let me tell you about this crazy thing that happened. You know, just, oh, just unprompted. Yeah, you know, wait, far too humble for that. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> you seem like a very humble guy, to be completely honest. So I do uh, have a second question. Yeah, go for it. Uh, it. It's not even really so much question, but so you pretty much spent your whole life in Louisiana. Was there any Saints influence in your life early on? Like, did you <laughs> I, I have a favorite? I get that question a good bit, and I still, you know, from some of my good buddies, they ask me all the time because I hate the Saints. You know, you're a Falcon. Yes. You do not like the Saints. You know, there's yeah. like nothing about them. Their colors are ugly. You know, their city's terrible. Um, uh, He's yeah. on the right show. Fully yes. agree. Fully agree. This is what we say literally every weekend. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but, you know, for me, I was – and people don't believe this, but it's, it's the honest truth, and you can ask my dad. He'll tell you the same thing. We were Houston Astro fans. We were LSU Tiger fans. You know, if the Saints were on, you know, which they'd be on on Sundays, we'd watch it. But we were never uh, huge New Orleans Saints fans. And I guess the good Lord knew 
that we were going to be Falcons. And, you know, he didn't want to make us Saints fans because <laughs> what Lord would, would make you want to like the Saints? I you think know? those were the right. paperback yeah. days anyways. Yeah. They, yeah. they really weren't even competitive until you got in the league. So I guess it didn't yep. matter. No, and I hear, and I know y'all hear it. You know, I get tired of hearing it. Twenty-eight to three, and yeah. you know, look at our ring. They got one ring with with Drew Brees, and county get ring. Uh, yeah, you know, we got to get one. Because Did it feel I, different when you played them? Oh, it was. It, like, it how was the rivalry for you? It was elevated, especially when we came here to Louisiana. You know, to play in the mm-hmm. Superdome because I would have more family members and friends and old teammates that that played with me in high school and college that would be there. I would say I played at a little different level. Uh, you know, didn't want to be embarrassed in the home state. And I think if you watch a lot of guys around the NFL, when they go back home, uh, they're playing at a little different speed. You know, it just means more. Um, and I knew I didn't want to hear it from from all the Saints fans if we lost. And I think when I was playing, they probably got our number more than we got theirs. But it was some heated matchups. And no matter how good we were or how good they were in the season, that game was always tough and it was going to always be a battle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of fans sort of ignore the NFC South for whatever reason, but I think this, the Falcon saints rivalry, even for people that aren't involved, it, it's the games are always good. Like they're just always great games. They're, they're spirited. They're, they're nasty sometimes. Like there's just a lot of John back and forth. Everyone's going hard. Like I think more fans need to appreciate the Falcon saints rivalry as like one of the top rivalries in the league. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great one. And, you know, like I said, you can't love the Falcons and love the Saints at the same time. It's it's one or the other. And uh, I hate them. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) Correct answer. You've you passed the test. We know it's the real Todd McClure at this point. So that's right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. We got there. Yes, exactly. Well, we'll get to some. Uh, we do have some some fan comments. We got Moonstar with the ten dollar donation. Thank you so much, Moonstar. Appreciate that, man. He says, "Let's enjoy the ride on this roller coaster this year. Every team in the NFL is good. Some weeks they will have your number, folks. We're two and one. We have time to bounce back. Yes, we do. Uh, and that's another thing I wanted to to mention and to get Todd's thought on because it it you're down two and one. You've lost your first game. You know, as a player." Is there like when you lose your first game, whether it's week one, week two, week three, whenever, is there sort of an energy in the locker room? Like, okay, now we got to bounce back. Like this is like, is there an additional energy and buzz from getting that first loss and really wanting to, to write the ship? No, there definitely is. Cause you look back, you know, if those first two games, there were some things that we did, um, you know, and during my playing career, it was the same. You go win a game, whether it's by one point or it's by 30 points, there's some details that get swept under the rug and some things that, that, that critics and fans that they don't bring up because you got the win. And when you lose those, when you lose a game, all those things are brought out, you know? So as a player, you got to kind of block the noise out a little bit, but you have to be realistic and, and see the reasons why you didn't win the football game the week, the, you know, a few days before. Um, so there, there definitely is an energy that, you know, you got to pay attention to the little details to not let that happen again. Um, but, like, you look around the NFC South, uh, Carolina, I think that they'll be in the bottom. Everybody else is two and one. Uh, New Orleans, their quarterback just went down. You don't know what you're going to get out of Jameis. Um, I, I like what Mayfield's doing in Tampa, but they're beatable. So you just got to go win some games. And I think the NF, NFC South will be up for grabs. And like what I talked about earlier, 
those matchups between those teams, they're going to be good ball games. You just got to go make the plays in those games. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's what it comes down to. And you, you go back, you know, week one, obviously Falcons get that double digit win. That's nice to see. They really pulled away in the fourth quarter against the Packers. Again, it comes down to just a few plays. And even though I think in that week two game, the Falcons pretty handily outplayed the Packers, especially from a yardage standpoint, because of a couple misfires in the red zone, things like that, they end up only winning by the one point, And it takes a, a heroic Desmond Ritter comeback, which I think has probably been the best thing we've seen from him so far was that uh, fourth quarter comeback against the Packers. And then again, against the Lions, you mentioned a couple of plays where you get the missed field goal. You have that fourth down opportunity deep in, in Detroit territory, where if you convert that and you get points off that drive, you're, you're almost tied, you know, you're within a few points right. and it's a completely different ball just, game. Yeah. You had the one play with Laporta where he broke free and mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a blown coverage or what, but I mean, it's, everybody talks about it all the time. An NFL game comes down to two or three plays, you know, whether you make them or you don't, and that's going to determine the outcome. We got to go make those plays. You got to be on the winning side of that equation uh, more times than not, if you're going to have a successful season. Yeah. Yeah. We had two questions, uh, one from Jason Gaines with the $4. Thank you so much, Jason. And one from Corey with the $5 that just came in. Um, And they want to know, they want to know about Alex Gibbs, very famous offensive line coach. uh, One of the best, if not the best offensive line coach in, in NFL history. Uh, and basically they want to know, like, what did Alex Gibbs really mean to you? And do you have any cool Gibbs stories or anything in, in particular you want to share about your time with Gibbs? Yeah, absolutely. He he was an asshole, just to, to be honest <laughs> with you. you know? But he was a guy he was a guy that understood the offensive line game and the, the running game more than anybody I've ever been around. Um when he came in, uh, you know, he had a track record and he taught all of us how to be tough, how to be physical and how to finish to the whistle. Um, funny thing about Alex was he was a guy that was hard on you. But once a week we would go in on Thursdays and he would have I forget what he called it, but we talked about life. Uh, he was hard on us during the week, but he loved on us when he needed to. But on Thursdays, he would ask everybody around the room, what are you going to do when your football career is over? You know, he would make guys start thinking about those things before it ended with them. You know, he had been around the game for a long time. And uh, before he left, we went and bought, they called him the little chief. You know, it looked like a little, little Indian. And we put the Indian statue and we had it on top of our ice chest in our offensive line meeting room. And it stayed there for years after he was gone. He was that much of a legend and he had a huge impact on my career. Yeah, it, I love that description. <laughs> but that that's how it is. I mean, especially in the offensive line. It's it's a tough position. You the offensive line I think is so unique because you could have 60 great snaps and one bad one where the quarterback gets sacked and fumbles and then after the game no one's talking about your 60 snaps where you won. They're talking about the yeah, one where you, you lost. <laughs> and you flip around the defensive lineman, he can have 60 terrible snaps and two yep. good ones and you know, he's all world, but that's the nature of the business. And, you know, guys, and when the offensive line, like when they're not talk, talking about you and they're not criticizing you, you're playing well. You know, when the critics come out, you're struggling and you got to you got to learn how to cut that down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's a cool story. Appreciate that. We got another one from Jason Gaines here. He says, Todd, what did you think when uh, Nodicum Sue called the Falcons O-line dirty in 2011? I know you touched on that a little bit. Uh, and how challenging was it for you during your career to block all those different tackles guys? Like, obviously you mentioned Sapp, Sue, 
uh, Leroy Glover, Chris Jenkins, guys like that. Yeah, Sue, you know, I couldn't stand him in his career, <laughs> and I think he matured a little bit late. Uh, but I'll take him every Sunday of the week, line him up across me. He's going to go hard for three plays, and he's going to take the rest of the game off. So give me Sue all day long. You know, guys that I hated playing against were like Kyle Williams with Buffalo. Uh, Kelly Gregg was a little small nose guard that played with Baltimore's ferocious defense. Guys that had motors and that made me work every play, those were the guys I struggled with. Uh, guys that just didn't stop. But you get guys that are going to go hard and rush a pass or two or three plays, give them to me all day. I'll line up and I'll block them all day long, let them make their two or three plays and whip them the, the other 70. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point because, again, like you said, it, it it's a long game. And while those couple of plays matter a lot, uh, the, usually the team that makes the majority of good plays is the one that's going to come out ahead at, at the end. Usually, you know, sometimes sometimes things don't go your way. That's why we love the NFL, because it you don't really, uh, you know, can't really predict it. Sometimes things just yeah, go sideways. Scripted. I've been seeing some commercials that is, <laughs> it might be scripted. You yeah, know. when did you get your script before the season? Was it like, you know, a couple weeks before? <laughs> no, I've people come up to me that, that seriously believe that. I'm like, man, you got to be kidding. I can I can give you some stories, but I can promise you it's not scripted. Not saying some guys <laughs> might have been on the take, you know, in the last 100 years, but uh, the game is definitely not scripted. Yeah. If it, if it is scripted, then I want to talk to whoever came up with the 2016, like, yeah, I got I got words for that. Uh, I got words for somebody um, that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to get get our comeuppance from that. So, but <laughs> all right, we do have a, a question from uh, Joe Schmo. He's wondering, Todd, in your opinion, what do you think the hardest block for a center to make is uh, in the NFL? Uh, no, for me, it was it, uh, that's an easy answer. When you're in the shotgun and you're running a counter play and the center has a tight shade or a tight nose guard and you got to block back uh, on a tight nose guard, uh, that's one of the toughest blocks because your snap's got to be on point and you have to get your hands up quick. Uh, that was one of the blocks that, that that gave me the biggest fits. And I think if you ask any center in the league, uh, that's that's probably what they're going to say. Yeah, no, that, that one uh... – I've never, I never played offensive line, so I never attempted to do anything like that. But uh, if you ask me to do more than just block the guy in front of me, it seems like uh, <laughs> that that seems pretty complicated. So uh, I, I can only imagine. Uh, oh, we got Keenan Forty in the chat, by the way. He says Mud Duck. Well, so, uh, so, yeah, I yeah. want to get a delay on it. Yeah, Keenan, <laughs> Keenan if you want to hop on, uh, DM me on Twitter. I'll send you the link, bud. Um, but uh, Keenan, friend of the show, Keenan Forty, uh, checking in. But uh, yeah, Todd, I'm curious. We're going to London now. Did I can't remember. Were they doing any London games back when you were playing, or was has that something that's happened afterwards? No, I'll tell you, when, when I was playing, uh, we did two preseason games in Japan, uh, which, you know, it was neat to get out there and see a different culture, different way of life. But uh, the whole Europe deal wasn't – it wasn't in. I think still at the time, beginning of my career, they were doing NFL Europe. You know, they were sending guys over there to play in Amsterdam and uh, play in Germany. So the NFL's attention was was more there with NFL Europe than it is now. And I mean, now I think it's it's great. You know, you expand expand the brand, expand the expand the the franchise and. I know teams probably don't look forward to going over there because you have your normal work week. And then you got to travel. 
but I think it's it's a neat life experience for all those guys. When else are you going to go to London? You know, um, it's, it's great, you know, but, but I'm sure they'll be wore out by the time the game's over with and they get back. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. tough environment to go into, but Falcons do benefit from, you know, we, we have a lot of these guys on here. Falcons actually have a pretty big London, UK fan base. Uh, I, we've definitely had uh, Andy on the show, not not from Toy Story Andy, uh, Falcons Andy on Twitter, um, who is who's a, a one of the one of the Brits that loves the Falcons. But and I think what touching on what you said, it's not. I don't think it's going to be a home game for the Jaguars, who have played the most London games of any team. But the Falcons, I think, have a pretty healthy London fan base. And when we've seen the Falcons play teams that aren't the Jaguars, they've typically had the the home field advantage in London. So um, definitely excited to see how that goes. But more from a matchup standpoint. The Jaguars so far, they're, they're one and two, um, which I think is kind of shocking considering what we thought going into the season. Um, I don't know how much you've gotten to see the Jaguars this year, but how do you feel like the, the Falcons, what's their best path to winning that game? Is it is it trying to pound the rock? Is it trying to open up in the passing game? Because so far it seems like Jaguars' run defense has been their strength. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in the same breath, I think, you know, we have to go establish a run because if you put uh, – Put us back in a passing situation early that's not where we want to be and I, I don't think that's where we're going to be successful they're good against the run but you have to have the mindset that you're going to go establish a run and then it's going to open up things you got to be good with play action you got to get Ritter in situations where he's comfortable and if you can get the running game going and Desmond can go create or not he can go complete some passes early confidence goes a long way with a young quarterback and you know, those with our receiving core, it looked like those guys got frustrated a little bit towards the end of the game because they weren't getting the ball. And, you know, the ball wasn't necessarily in the right spots at times, but confidence for an offense goes a long way. So we need success early in this game in, in Jacksonville. And then they're pressing too. You know, they're going to go try to make some plays uh, with their offense. And when they put the ball up in the air, uh, we got to go create some turnovers. Bates has been good. Go get him another one and let's keep that doubt in their mind and we've got to be good early in this ball game. Yeah. It's definitely a situation where the Jaguars need this like bad, you know, going down to one and three, it's, it's very dire when you get below 500 to that extent. Whereas the Falcons, it it's a little bit easier to come up with, you know, if, if you're, you're going in needing to win, cause you need to win every week, but falling to two and two, not a death sentence, you know, do, do, do players pay attention to the record like that? Are you guys really tracking that type of stuff and, and being like, okay, we, if we don't win this week, we're done. Or is that more just something that the fans and the, and the analysts obsess over? No, you, you pay attention to it because you know uh, the attention uh, that you get, say the Jaguars, if they go to uh, one and three, the media attention that's coming, it's coming, you know, they're going to criticize everything. They're going to criticize what you ate for breakfast, you know, um, so you know the pressure and you know it's there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, you look at it and, I mean, you think about this week, you look at Denver playing Chicago. You think there's some pressure there in that game? If Denver loses that game, Sean Payton's going to get more gray hairs than he has now. And the same breath, Chicago, they're taking heat from everywhere. So that game right there, there there's a lot of pressure. But, you know, with the Falcons, I think if we can go get to three and one, I keep talking about confidence. It puts confidence – uh, with the guys in the locker room, it gives them confidence with their head coach. It just it, it just breeds success when you have confidence. Yeah, so I'm assuming. Go ahead. 
I, I'm assuming you guys could do no wrong uh, in the media when you guys were eight and zero in 2012. What was that like? What what was that run like? Uh, just starting out, you know, winning week one, winning week two, and then just you know, it just sort of kept going and it just kept going. I I, I know it was so fun from from a, a fan standpoint watching that. What was that like uh, in the locker room from from a player's perspective? Oh, it was unbelievable because, like I talked about, you don't have the critics, you don't have the negativity, and everything you do uh, is great. Um, I don't think I ever had a time in sports that compared to that run. You know, 8-0 in the NFL is tough. And you look at, just to compare it, the Eagles last year, you know, and I know it's well documented now with the Kelsey brothers, their deal, which is unbelievable. I love it. Um but you just start seeing Jason Kelsey talk about, well, we want another one, and it's building and building, and then they got hit in the teeth, and they had a tough loss. And, um, you know, it happened to us that year also. So you you get brought back down to life a little bit, and you start to look at the things that might have been getting swept under the rug during those eight wins that you need to get better at, and you fix those things, and you're able to go on and have a successful season. Yeah. No, I, no yes. If, it, if I – I don't want to hog all the airtime, uh, Evan. If you got more questions, I don't feel free. I I want to give Evan a chance. He's only uh, asked well, like a couple. I just <laughs> like listening. Um, not, Evan's itching. Yeah. No. Um. Random. Uh. What? And, and remove the Georgia Dome from this. What was your favorite stadium you played in, and your least favorite stadium? Okay, so my favorite. I loved when we went to Seattle. Uh, Seattle was loud, but that stadium just had a different feel to it. You know, the natural grass, uh, the overcast, it was just a, a different feel to Seattle. You know, I'm used to the the muggy, boggy south, you know, growing up playing in, in Death Valley here in Louisiana. And to go somewhere there where the weather's just uh, completely different, that was one of my favorite state stadiums to play in. Uh, least favorite, there's two. You know, I hate it coming to the Superdome, you know, because it was always loud. Uh, I can't tell you how loud it got at different times in, the, in that matchup, and it just makes it hard hard to execute. Um, one of the worst fields I ever played on was the old vet in Philly. You know, that field was that old AstroTurf and was absolutely terrible, and we played there with Mike Vick. We went there and lost to those guys in the NFC Championship game with Donovan McNabb and – Brian Dawkins and those guys, but that field was atrocious. So uh, Seattle and Philly and New Orleans is always dead last. Yeah, yeah, I well, appreciate well, What are your thoughts on on the turf debate? Because uh, I know you you played on turf at the Georgia Dome for half the game, more than half the games in your career because there is a Superdome as well. Is it is that something you, you think about as a player of, you know, the sort of, you know, maybe elevated injury risk. Is that something where you go out there and you're, you're, I don't want to say more apprehensive, but is that on your mind when you are playing on turf versus when it is grass? No, you don't think about it. And if you, if you are thinking about it, then your mind's not in the right spot. You know, I tore my ACL my rookie year. It was on grass at practice. I think sometimes that debate uh, gets elevated, you know, because I can remember when, there were real turf fields, but the grass wasn't good enough. You know, the sod's moving, you know, when you have to put fresh sod out. So it goes back and forth. It goes in spurts. And, you know, I'm not a doctor, and I don't know the analytics of it, but I think that debate gets gets blown out of proportion. Injuries are going to happen. 
Uh, I think when you have injuries to high-profile guys, Aaron Rodgers, you know, it's it's going to get talked about a little bit more. Um, I preferred playing on natural grass, but I didn't think about whether I was uh, on turf or on grass and didn't block or didn't step any differently. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I know there's been a lot of buzz about like, oh, injuries are up and all that stuff. From a player's perspective, did you feel like things were getting more frequent towards the end of your career versus the beginning? Or is it just kind of, it's ever present? And again, it's just one of those things that nobody really has much control over. Yeah, football, it's just, it's a physical game. Uh, you know, I chalk it up as, yeah. to me, there's always a, a debate and a balancing act between the NFL and the players union. You know, it's, you're always playing a little tug of war, you know, trying to move your chess piece in the right spot. So you always got to have some kind of leverage. Um, I think it gets blown out of proportion. Sometimes in media, you have to have stuff to talk about uh, to, to get airtime. I think it's blown out of proportion. And like I said, I, I haven't looked at the numbers and seen them in front of me. Um, I would rather play on natural grass, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that's sort of my take too. You know, I, I think I only ever played on natural grass, but um, that, again, it's just it's one of them things. Like I feel like there's advantages to either one, you know, and there's disadvantages to either one. So it's just kind of have to one of those things where it doesn't it doesn't seem like they're gonna stop using turf anytime soon. <laughs> In fact, it seems like more and more fields are going to the turf. So um. yeah, I I am wondering, Todd, do you have any specific players? Yeah, uh, who who were your favorite uh, off the field, on the field, just in your in your long time as an Atlanta Falcon? Who who were some of your favorite teammates? No, absolutely, and you'll see, you know, some of those the first guys that I'm gonna have on with Keenan Forney and Roberto Garza, Tyson Claybo, uh, one of the tightest groups that we had uh, while I was playing was with Sam Baker, Harvey Dahl, Justin Blaylock, Tyson Claybo, uh, Will Svitek. Uh, Joe Holly was my backup then. We had a group that, uh, you know, on off days, I love to cook. You know, from Louisiana, you got to know how to cook. So I'd have those guys over, and we would just hang out. You know, we loved being with each other off the field as much as we did in the locker room. We we were like brothers. Um, and I just sent I sent those guys a message today uh, because I want to get each of them on individually. But to have that group of guys together in a format like we're doing right now, uh, it would be epic because the stories that would come up from that group, some of my fondest memories of playing the game. And what I miss most about the NFL game, other than the paychecks, is the guys. You know, hanging out with those guys uh, is truly what it was about for me. Yeah. It, it, it really seems like there was some – I mean, you were here for such a long time. So many characters came through that locker room. Uh, and you got to play against so many guys, and I'm sure – some of those guys you played against, you have relationships with as well. Um, speaking of of that, uh, Jason Gaines asked, Todd, what, what did you think about when in 2009 uh, Coach Mike Smith was about to fight uh, uh, Washington corner D'Angelo Hall and Laurent Landry for hitting Matt Ryan out of bounds? Uh, how, how did it feel playing for a coach like that? <laughs> I tell you, uh, I, I love Smitty. Uh, Smitty calls me just randomly. From time to time, his number will pop up on a caller ID and come to find out, you know, he he does it to a lot of players that played for him. He just calls, check in on them. Uh, Smitty was a different cat. You know, when you got 
he was even killed most of the time. But when, when you saw Smitty pissed off, he was pissed off. And for him to want to snap at D'Angelo, who D'Angelo was one of my teammates, yeah. D'Angelo could get under, you know, the Pope skin. He was, <laughs> D'Angelo never stopped talking trash. Uh, and uh, Smitty was a great guy. I love seeing him get fired up. I had some great guys in my career. You know, Dan Reeves, who, who's no longer with us, was he's a legend in the game, you know growing up or not growing up, but playing under Tom Landry, uh, all the places he went to. And then Jim Mora, which y'all know he came in and I think he got the job a little early. He wasn't, you'd probably ask him now, he wasn't uh, at the maturity spot as a coach that he wanted to be in. Um, and then there was a guy named Petrino that, uh, you know, nobody liked, nobody likes him to this day. Why Texas A&M signed him, I don't know. Uh, but that was just a disaster from the word go. Um, and then we were fortunate to get Coach Smith. Coach Smith was a guy, the last coach of my career, and had a huge impact in my life. Yeah. Falcons that does seem like such a Mike Smith thing based on all the stories, <laughs> just, you know, yeah. to randomly call up all his players. Like, from everything that, you know, everyone has ever said about Coach Smith, he just seems like the nicest guy like possible out there so he's definitely someone i'd love to see on your show because i feel like he's got like a lot of stories and stuff i mean aside from what he said you know like in the media um like i don't feel like i know him well enough like based on that because he, he didn't seem like he was outside like talking once he um stopped coaching you know in no, Atlanta and stuff like think, that so and i think you know coach smith now he's he's living in the mountains he goes fishing three times a week um, I, the, and y'all know this, the, to be an NFL coach, you get paid a lot of money. The criticism's harsh. Um, and the pressure is unbelievable. You know, when, when you're winning, it's, it's good. Everything's good, but the pressure of not being successful, your team, not being good. And then job security of the coaches that you've hired uh, under you, you know, that are trusting in you to go get wins. The pressure of being an NFL head coach, uh, is big. And I think, Smitty was around long enough. He wanted to enjoy. And I think some coaches right now, they, they coach too long. You look at, say, um, a Nick Saban, for instance. That's a guy that I don't think can ever hang it up. You know, that's all he's ever done. Uh, Smitty was fortunate enough to step away, enjoy the fruits of his labor a little, a little bit, get away from that pressure and go enjoy life with his family. And I respect the hell out of that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's an underrated thing to just take a step back and say, I've done enough, you know, like I, I've been an NFL head coach, one of the most, I mean, the most successful head coach in Falcons history. Uh, that's, that's enough for me. Like, I actually don't need to do more. Like I, that, yeah, that's good. Hard, you know, you, and I'll tell you all, you miss, talk about the guys, you miss the feeling of a big win, that locker room. You miss coming out on Monday night football and they introduce you from Louisiana State, Todd McClure, and the crowd goes crazy. It's like the Roman Coliseum. You you can't recreate that. You know, you can't recreate that feeling. It's it's unreal. And you know, when when you take that away, it's it's hard to to find that in life anywhere. And you know, it's moments like that that I look back and was like, man, it was a special ride. Yeah. No. Truly once-in-a-lifetime stuff. Uh, we were, of course, very fortunate to have you for as long as we did. Uh, all in Atlanta, truly one of the legendary Falcons. Adnan, did you have another question? And Yeah, I did. And we we did have you 
Todd for what 13 seasons there. We should have had you for longer. Like, uh, I, I mean, just like, you know, let, let's just let, let's just put it out there. <laughs> I think we were all in agreement, the entire fan base, you know, the media, everyone that it was a very foolish decision to not bring you back after that very successful 2012 season. I don't think anyone really, you know, knew what Thomas Dimitrov was doing with that specific decision. I don't I think do. he knew what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, that, that was one of those things where it was just like that, that was just incomprehensible to a lot of us. I'm pretty sure you did, like, you had to have had like a lot of offers on the table. What was that just a decision where it was, you know, it was going to be the Falcons or nothing for you? Well, uh, to go back to that point, uh, that's kind of what I'd come to in my mind. I wanted to play one more year, and I would have played for Peanuts and a Coca-Cola. You know, I just wanted to be back out on that field one more time because of where we stopped in 2012. We were mm-hmm. 16, 18 yards from going to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see the goal line. I still see it right now at night sometimes to get to the Super Bowl, and that was my last snaps uh, of my NFL career. I wanted to play one more. I wanted to be in Atlanta uh, after week two or week three. Um, and I don't know if I've even told this one. I, I get a call from the Falcons, and it's not even Thomas. It's it's one of his minions that calls me and asks me, are you in shape? Uh, would you be ready to come in with a, for a workout? And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go. Well, I didn't hear anything else, you know, from anybody. Not, you know, no, we're not going to bring you in. You know, I, I just spent 14 years of, of my life uh, dedicating blood, set, sweat, and tears to this organization, which I'm not bashing the Falcons. I don't want y'all to think that. I, You know, I love it, but just trying to bring y'all back to my mind at that time, um, I didn't feel like it was handled the right way, Yeah. you know. And you look back and um, Thomas, you know, I think there was – he undervalued guys in the locker room. You know, I think there was times when and me and Tyson Clebo talk about it all the time. We could have told you where the players were going to make the team within the first three weeks of training camp. And sometimes draft picks, they get more time, but we could have told you this guy's not going, he's not going to make it. He's not going to cut it, cut ties, go ahead, find somebody else. But sometimes those draft picks get extra time because the GM and the scouts have to validate they told the owner this is a guy you need to go take you know yeah. but it's part of the nfl it is yeah, I, man. like it, it not <laughs> not to make this a dart throwing session on dimitrov but you're not the only we could one. i mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. we had some but, takes I mean, this is before we were doing the show so yeah, yeah. And, and i mean because i mean we we talked about it with matt bryan as well like we remember the matt bryan situation and evan was very uh he was very you know close close to that situation overall uh where matt bryan got you know got let go of by the falcons for someone who was not a, a suitable replacement and we saw the same thing with you and you know this was years later and then matt bryan gets gets a call and you know he gets you know i think three million dollars or he, he gets like a, a bigger contract comes back and then i i still remember like the very you know, patronizing like video of Thomas talking about, yeah. oh no, this is our plan. Like from the start, you know, this is exactly what we were, you know, hoping to do. It's like, who, who, like, who are you fooling right now? You know, right? It's just like, who's you know, this video Matt for? And yeah. Matt and I have had that conversation. I think we both 
have Thomas at the same spot on our totem pole because the thing that bothers me the most is you have guys like Matt, like myself, that have done so much for the franchise. It could have been handled in both our situations a little bit better, you know, out of respect. And that's that's the only beef I have, you know. I'm I'm in the Atlanta Falcons ring of honor. Uh it was probably best on my body that I didn't go back and play one more year. But at that time, uh, I felt like I was capable. And the yeah. fans definitely see that, too, because, yeah. I mean, they saw with Matt Bryant, like, best kicker in, in team history. And then, obviously, with you, it's like there's certain players who deserve that kind of, you know, hey, this is his last ride. Like, let's give him that credit instead of just yanking the rug out from under you and being like, well, see ya. Yeah, and I think, you know, you look back to recent times and um, with Matt, Ryan, uh, the way that deal kind of went down. And, you know, it's the the nature of the business. But when you have a guy that has done so much for a franchise, um, for things to go down like that, you know, and I think for Matt, he probably felt the same way that I felt. You know, you're going to talk about the Sean Watson, this and that. It's disrespect, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, and those things, you just, you got to handle them. It's not easy. GMs get paid a lot of money to make big decisions. Um, and it's easier to sit here in a, in a recliner and talk about them. Um, but I think when you have a guy that's poured so much into the franchise, GMs can learn to, and some GMs do, treat them with a little more respect. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is like, I don't, I can't speak for you, but I mean, I imagine if you did come back in 2013 and lost a competition to the young guy, I, it, you don't seem like the type of guy that would have been like, oh, I'm going to take my ball and go home. Like, I, w- I imagine you would have wanted to continue mentoring the guys around you and, and be oh, a part absolutely. of that team. Yeah. And, and I would have gladly done that if, you know, and I think that would have been looking back at it, the smartest thing if they wanted to give um, Joe Holly, Peter Kahn's, uh, I forget who it was at the time, I would have gladly been a backup and, and stayed there and, and mentored you know, and talked them through it and helped. And I think it would have been beneficial. And then if it got to a spot where, you know, the young guy's not necessarily working out, uh, we're going to put you back in there. I would have gladly done it, Uh, you know. But that's the past. And, uh, yeah, you know, history's been written. And it's like it is for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I I can tell you for a fact that, you know, because we are a part of the fan base. Like, we're in the media, but we are a part of the fan base. The fans – don't take what you what you gave to the franchise for granted like not not for a second like the fans know that you are you know probably argue like I'm, i'll say the greatest center in team history you spent you know 14 years in atlanta you are a falcon for life you are in the ring of honor which at the very least that is one of the one of the right ways the team sort of righted that wrong a little bit because you know they did give you that honor a little bit and, you know, it's just it, it did leave a bad taste in all of our mouths because you were you were really good in 2012. Like, it's not like yeah. you were falling off. Yeah. It's not like you were falling off the cliff. Like, you were you were like a hell of a player in 2012. But, you know, if it's any consolation, the fan base appreciates you and the fans, the, the fans understand and they realize just what Todd McClure meant to the Atlanta Falcons. So no matter how it ended, you know, that at, at the very least, that that's something that you're always going to have, you know, that's always going to be part of the legacy. Well, man, y'all, y'all didn't tell me I need to bring tissue on for the episode. I, you know, <laughs> a lot, you know, because I realize as a, as a former player, um, 
you know, what, what I was able to provide for my family wouldn't be possible without fans, you know, without you guys, uh, back in the franchise, loving the franchise, going to pay for season tickets and buying merchandise and, you know, just making the Atlanta Falcons part of your life. Uh, I love you guys for that. And I, I really appreciate those words. Y'all don't realize how much that means to me. Well, absolutely. absolutely. You deserve all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we're fortunate to have, yeah. have you on. Definitely also, as your podcast so cool. keeps yeah, going, yeah. you're going to hear more about it anyways from oh, yeah. fans, you know, watching and commenting on it. So. Yeah, yeah, and you guys feel free, man. This won't be the last time, you know. Oh, yeah, I, no, I we haven't done it before, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I enjoy talking football, you know. Oh, yeah. but, uh, oh we, we like having repeat guests. You know? Yes. Well, sir. Be You're welcome There's anytime, There's only so much Todd. you can cover Absolutely. in an hour or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't want to keep you here for, for the six hours it would take to get through probably everyone's yeah. questions. But, I'll be uh, back. Y'all, y'all, well, yeah, we'll, we'll parcel back. it out. We'll, we'll split it up. We got we, we got to leave something to the imagination for the viewer. You know, we can't right. do it all at once. We got we got to <laughs> tease it out over time, right? 17-game season, essentially. But uh, we, had, yeah. we have one <laughs> final question from Moonstar. Yeah, talking about all the funny trash talk that you were mentioning, uh, Moonstar says he he heard most of the best trash talk from his uh, his drill sergeants, but he wanted to know if there were any particularly funny or creative uh, lines of trash talk that were thrown your direction during your career. <laughs> yeah, I'll give y'all uh, one I laugh about all the time, and that this <laughs> my wife sitting here saying don't curse, but uh, <laughs> it's okay but we were, on this program. It's fine. Yeah, we were playing in Tampa, and I wish I could go back to what game it was, but we were up and we started talking trash and Sap had not shut up the whole game. And uh, we were just, we were dominating them with the running game and we're talking back and uh, I forget what I told him, but he, he looks at me and said, hey, McClure, McClure. I said, what, man? He said, uh, what you doing in January? I was like, and we weren't going to the playoffs that year, but we were beating them in that game. I was like, I don't know. He said, I'll be sipping on pineapples and hoes in Hawaii while you're sitting at home in January, you know? So was, that, that's Warren Sapp and just different things like that. And then uh, just so many guys, you know, I, I've got stories. Reggie White uh, talking to Travis Claridge, uh, and we'll get into that. There's your teaser. We'll get into yeah, some yeah. of that. I'm going to come on with you guys. There you go. Yeah, that's a great tease. You're you're learning the tricks of the trade, Todd. You got a, you got a future ahead of you Already in this business. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, uh, thanks to everyone so much for watching. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please do like, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Leave us that five star review on your podcast platform of choice. Today's show, once again, was brought to you by Bet Online. Before we sign off, want to of course thank. Our wonderful guest, legendary Falcon Center, Todd McClure, for his time. Todd, it was amazing. Great time. Just so much fun talking to you, uh, getting to know you a little bit better. Uh, guys, he is at Todd McClure62. And again, tell the people about your podcast and where they can find it. Yeah, the Snapback with T-Mac, uh, all major platforms. You can check us out. Uh, our YouTube page is, is getting up and going. We're on Facebook uh instagram and i told the guys last night we might even have a myspace coming and uh only fans so check us out yeah there you go yeah <laughs> we have a secret only fans too yeah it's for it's for editor-in-chief dave choate it's for only the most exclusive. i hear that no yeah, but so. uh you know it's pretty easy type it in a snap back with t-mac y'all can find us no new pictures you know i always yeah. have my clothes on. 
Yes, yes. That that is for the the deep supporters on Patreon. That's yeah, the, you have to pay exclusive. for that. Yeah, that yeah, you know that doesn't come for free. That's that's later. Um, you got to build up the anticipation for that. Yeah, that's but, right. <laughs> Todd, thank you so much. Also, want to thank, of course, director of guest personnel Evan Birchfield for setting this up. He is at Evan Birchfield on Twitter. Evan, anything else you're working on? You'd like to let the people know about? Uh, no, not really. Just uh, thankful for Todd and uh, for his wife for letting him come on. Uh, make sure to go subscribe um, to his channel, obviously. And uh, there's going to be some good stories coming that way. Um, I'm excited to to listen in. So, but thanks again for coming on. Thank y'all for having me, man. Thanks for staying persistent. And uh, I'm gonna be back. I enjoy doing this. Love talking Excellent. football and love doing it with Falcons fans. You guys are the best. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. And of course, Adnan Ikic, co-host at Say Which Way. Adnan, anything else you'd like to let the people know about uh, before we sign I'm up? I'm just going to plug the falcoholic.com just uh, in general. We're all doing really good work on there. Uh, pre-game coverage, uh, during game coverage, post-game coverage. Just, you know, check us out. And I will echo uh, Evan and Kevin's sentiments that, you know, a big thank you to Todd for coming on. It was a very fun, very fun conversation. We, uh, we all really enjoyed it. So, you know, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, guys. All right, folks. Thank you again for tuning in. We will be back. Uh, we'll have uh, our Falcons vs. Jaguars game preview uh, coming out on thir- on uh, excuse me, Friday morning. So look for that. Uh, and then we'll be back, of course, uh, I guess bright and early on Sunday for the Falcons vs. Jaguars postgame show. And uh, definitely check out Todd's pod. Uh, maybe that's a backup name if there's ever any any, ever any con- contract issues yeah, Todd's, Todd's pod, got a, so. my kid said something like that <laughs> got on me for not doing something with mud duck he was like duck tail you know? uh, yeah it might be some copyright yeah, there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so many so many opportunities though there's just a lot of good ones out there I think you picked a good one as well uh, but guys thanks again for watching we will see you next time on the Falcoholic Live thanks again to Todd we will see you next time folks have a great night good night guys